Welcome to the podcast of Sozo Church. For more information about Sozo, please visit sozosmtx.com. Hello, hello. Happy Easter. I was telling the kids this morning, I said, listen, if somebody says, he is risen, you're supposed to say, good, you know. Sometimes I forget that. Like, I was with a pastor the other day, and he's like, he is risen. I was like, oh, yeah, he's risen indeed. It's good. Easter's so great. Like, this is, this is why we're all here. We're all here because Jesus rose from the dead. This is what started everything. It's funny that Joel said what he said about religion. I had just made a note in my phone. I said, a lot of times people think Easter is where Jesus started a new religion. But it's where he ended it. This weekend is where we celebrate that Jesus ended religion. That he offered himself to do what none of us could do. You could offer all the lambs in the world and not remove your sin. And he did it. And so Easter is the announcement that there is no more religion. There is no more what you do to get right with God. Now, it is what you believe. What you believe makes you right with God. But not what you do. Not what you've done or haven't done. That's the beauty of Easter. I love it. You You guys need another coffee or something? (laughs) Easter's where Jesus just defeats everything. We sang all about it. I love it. We sang all about it. The grave can't hold him. Death couldn't hold him. It's good news. So good news. I was down here thinking, just remembering something I talked about. I don't know how long ago it was. It was a couple years ago. But I realized that every single person builds their life on testimonies. This is why you go anywhere on the internet and they have testimonials. They have stories of what this product or this course or this thing did for other people. They're like, I took this thing and all of a sudden my skin was better. I took this and my life was better and my finances were bad. And then I went through this course and everything's changed. Like we, we go online anywhere and all you see is testimony, 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 testimony. Everyone builds their life on testimonies. We make decisions on testimonies. Here's the problem. Way too many of us build them on the enemy's testimonies. Here's one simple example I have. Motorcycles. So I got a motorcycle many, many years ago. I love motorcycles. Oh my gosh. They're so fun. I get this motorcycle and people started telling me, well, you know, this guy (laughs) fell and crashed and died. What, what are they asking me to do? Build your life on a testimony of death, of injury, 
right? You know, my son, he was riding a one wheel at our friend's house. He's riding this one wheel and the battery dies while he's going fast and he just, it turns off and he falls and he rolls and he's all scuffed up everywhere. And I said, you got to get back on that thing. As soon as possible, you got to get back on that thing. Why? Because I can't let you build your life around the negative thing that happened. I can't let you build your life around the crash. I can't let you build your life around the, the wounds that were inflicted. You got to build your, you got to get back on that thing. You got to get going again, and you got to build your life on something else. You have to build your life on, 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 on something other than fear and injury. So I still ride a motorcycle. I don't care how many people tell me somebody crashed. You know how many people have never crashed? Those are the testimonies I'm going to pull from. Those are the stories I'm going to build my life on. When I get on the motorcycle and put my helmet on, I'm not dumb. I put my helmet on and my pants and my jacket and I ride. I'm like, thank you, Lord, that people have ridden bikes for years and never crashed. Thank you, Lord, that people have ridden bikes for 40 years and still alive. Why? I'm building my life on testimonies. Easter is where we get to build our life on a different testimony. Easter is a great reminder to go, there is one testimony we should all be building our lives on. Easter is where it doesn't matter what we're going through. He can win. I love, what was that one song you sang? We just hit that one line over and over. I don't even remember it now. I was just so caught up in the moment. I'm like, you said this one line over. I was like, it was where Jesus said something else about you. Like, the enemy thought he had me. Say that again. The enemy what? The enemy thought he had me, but Jesus said, you are mine. Man, that, saw, that line came up. I was like, whoa, whoa. The enemy thought he had us. Too bad, sucker. That's what my kid would say. My little boy is over there, my, our six-year-old. We have three kids. Our six-year-old's over there. Oh, sorry, my wife is here, but she doesn't like me to make her stand up. Our six-year-old's over there. He's, I don't know where he got it from, but he would like play soccer. He's like, so long, sucker. And he runs off. I'm like, I'm like that's, just, that's just good. Like, the devil thought he had us. And the Lord's like, sorry, sucker. You got nothing. This is where we realize, we remember, we remind ourselves. That's why we take communion. We remind ourselves, even if you're dead, you can come back to life. If you're sick, you can be healed. If you're afraid, you can be loved. If you're sad, you can be filled with joy. If you're anxious, you can have peace. Hello. Man, I'm preaching myself happy right now. I don't know what's happening with you guys. I'm feeling fired up. This is good news. But we build our life on testimonies. We build our life on the stories of what other people tell us. And Easter is where we get to go, you know what? This is the story I want to build everything on. All my thinking needs to be founded on this weekend. A dead man raised back to life and is still alive 2,000 years later. 
My son, we were sitting on the, on the chair this morning. He's like, man, Jesus is like 2030. He was doing the math. He's like, Jesus is really old. I'm like, well, is Jesus really old or is he 33 for 2030 some years? I'm just asking him. I don't know. Like, I think he's 33. I think he's like forever young. He's in his prime. For 2,000 years, he's just 33. That's my own thought. I don't know if that's real. Like, he can't die again. This is good for us to remember. Speaking of testimonies, we had a fun one last week. It was so fun. I was in Florida with a friend. Um, Joel knows him. We, were, we just met this guy. It was actually really cool. So we meet this guy named Trey. He's, I love this guy so much. And he had a vasectomy that went wrong years ago. Poor guy. Couldn't walk, couldn't sit, couldn't pick stuff up, couldn't ride a bike, couldn't pick up his kids, couldn't even play with his kids because the vasectomy went wrong. You know, they did a little snip, snip, and something went sideways. Joel told you I'm not religious, so you just got to get ready for it. So we're sitting around the fire. It's like 6.30, 7 o'clock in the morning. We're sitting around the fire talking at this men's shooting school, and we're all sitting there, and Trey tells us a story, and one of our friends, Ahab, is like, well, let's pray. Put your hand down there. And so Trey is like this. And so we, we just gather around. We just gather around. I know. You, you got to have to be okay with it. If you're offended, you probably need this. So, so Trey grabs, and we just gather around and start praying. And Joel's there, I'm there, a bunch of people are there. We're praying. Guess what? Trey's healed. Everything works again. Everything works again except for the thing that wasn't supposed to work. You know what I mean. Hopefully you know what I mean. Man, I forgot there's some young youth are in here. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Have you seen that video? You know, it's the pastor's kids, the video. They're doing like Christmas songs. And the mom is filming her son. The pastor's wife is filming her son. And they're all singing. And then the pastor's kid sees mom and is like, yeah. And she like turns the camera off. Have you seen that one? Sorry. I'm, I don't know what's happening to me right now. Anyway, so that happens with Trey. That happened a few months ago. Trey gets healed because we pray for him laid hands on him, prayed for him. He gets healed. Well, I was just at Trey's house last week and we're sitting there at Starbucks having a coffee and breakfast and we're just talking. We're sitting there and this lady is riding her bike. She was from uh, Maine. She had gone to Florida for vacation, spring break. She's in Maine. She's probably in her 60s. She's riding her bike. We don't, we don't know this. We just, all of a sudden, we hear a noise and we see this person fall down and, and slam on their side and not move at all. And we're like, what's happening? We're just looking across the street like, oh man, what's happening? And I thought it was a kid. And this man is running over to her and he's yelling like, call 911. And he's, he's running like, oh, that's the kid's dad. That's good. And I'm like, we're gonna go over there and pray. And, and so we start, we just put our coffee and stuff away and we start walking over to go pray. And then we realize like, oh, that's not his kid. Like this is a, 60-year-old woman who's fallen, and she's not moving. Like, she's not moving at all. And we get over there, and she's just going, 
and spit is coming all out of her mouth. We're like, oh gosh. And so we get her bike and we move her bike out from her legs and Trey's calling 911. He's on the phone. And I'm like, I'm just gonna pray for this lady. There's two men there and we carefully roll her over and her eyes are rolled back in her head and pointing the opposite direction and she is not present. And so we're getting her situated. I said, ma'am, I'm a pastor. I'm gonna pray for you. And the two guys next to me basically almost bow their heads like they were ready. They're like, they're real serious. And so I just started to pray. And I said, I said, in Jesus' name, you're going to come back. And then I just prophesied. I just looked in her eye. Her eye is literally pointing over here. So I look in her eye. And I'm like, you're fine. You're going to be fine. We're here. Jesus is here. He's got you. You're coming back. You are going to come back. And her eyes start going like this. Like, you're coming back. You're going to be just fine. We got you. The ambulance is coming. Jesus is here. You're going to be fine. And her eyes come back, and she's looking at us like, whoa. And, and we were like, come on. And then this doctor shows up. You can now hear the sirens. They were so fast. It was great. And the sirens are blaring, coming down the street, and this doctor shows up. He's like, I'm an emergency doctor, and he's on her. Like, where are you from? What's your name? He's just asking her questions to see where she's at, right? And she's becoming more and more coherent. And then he goes, ma'am, I'm a doctor, but I'm going to pray for you. And we all just pray again. Like, we're just <laughs> praying over her. He's checking her pulse. He's doing all the stuff. And now he prays over her. And before the ambulance even gets there, we got her sitting up. She's talking. Now, she wasn't fully all the way back yet. But she was like, I don't even know how I got here. Like, you, you crashed. You're like, what's your, where are you from? She's like, I'm from Maine. So she was more and more showing up. But it was just one of those things to remind us like, oh, you fell off your bike and hit your head. She had blood. She's all swollen. She had blood coming down. Like, oh, you fell off your bike, hit your head and weren't moving. And then Jesus steps into the picture. And it doesn't matter if your eyes are rolled back in your head, sticking out the sides. They come back when Jesus comes in. Those are the kind of testimonies we want to build our lives on. Sometimes I just get convicted of that. Like Seth, there's certain stories you should not be building your life on and your thinking. And there's one story you should. This one. So I'm going to tell you my story because Joel texted me and said, will you come and share your testimony? And I was like, I would love to. So I'm going to switch gears from those stories to my story that's directly connected to Jesus' story. So when I was a little kid, my parents got divorced when I was like one. I don't even think I was one. I was younger than one. I was a little baby. My parents get divorced. So I just grew up in a home with a single mom. And my mom wanted me to go to a Christian school. It was expensive. And she gets herself a job at the school. So that she can like, I don't know if she got me in for free or if she got a discount or what. So my mom would just take me to school. Like when I was in kindergarten, I rode the bus. But then later she got the job there and I would just ride to school with her and then hang out after school and ride home. So my mom worked at the Christian school. I spent my whole life at a Christian school. And when I was in kindergarten at five years old, I'll never forget. I, like I can still go back to this story as if it was yesterday. I'm, I'm 
we just finished recess. We come back in. I think I went to full day kindergarten. So we're, we're, after recess, we take naps back then. I don't know what they do now, but back then we took naps. So I lay down, all the kids lay down on the floor in kindergarten and everyone takes a nap. The teacher probably loved it. And I'm in my nap and I, I go into a dream and in my dream, Father God walks up to me and starts tying my shoes and showing me how to tie my shoes. And I, at, that, at that time in my life, no one could teach me how to tie my shoes. My mom was trying like doing the bunny ears and one bunny runs around the tree and then I don't know what it was. She tried all the techniques to get me to learn to tie my shoes and I couldn't tie my shoes. But now I'm asleep in a dream and Father God is showing me how to tie my shoes. And as soon as he shows me how to tie my shoes, I wake up and I look at the teacher and she's over at her desk and all the other kids are asleep and then I look at my shoes and my shoes are untied. And for the first time in my life, I just sat up and I tied both my shoes. And I went home that day. I was like, mom, look, I can tie my shoes. I tied my shoes. Like, how did you learn to tie your shoes? Like, God taught me. (laughs) Father God taught me. And I was, it was like, I didn't realize this at the time, but you know, the Bible says he'll be a father to the fatherless. Like, now I teach my kids how to tie their shoes. Like, I help my little guy. Here, we're going to get better at tying your shoes. And I'm teaching him, going, wow, I didn't have this. So God came and met me and taught me how to tie my shoes. That's the first time I remember experiencing God. Then a whole bunch of years go by, and I, you know, I grow up with a single mom, so I have pain. I have pain. I'm not well. I'm going through life. I'm trying to figure out what to do with all this pain. You know the story. All that stuff. Somewhere along the line, I started wanting to do drugs. So I'll, I tell this kid at our school, at our Christian school, I tell him, like, dude, we got to smoke weed. Whatever we do, we got to try to smoke weed. Let's get some. He's like, I can get you some from the public school. So he gets weed. <laughs> I, got, I got some some weed. I smoked weed the first time and my Christian school found out and I get expelled from, from school. And I'm like, well, I'll never do that again. Yeah, famous last words. I'm like, I'll never do that again. So a little bit of time goes by and then I start smoking weed again. And at this point, my friends and I are like, we would just get a certain amount of weed every single day. We'd get really high and then we'd sell the rest so we could just get free weed. And that's kind of how we lived for a few months until one day there's no weed. And my friend's like, well, there's no weed. We can't find it anywhere, but we can get Coke. I I knew a place we'd get Coke. I'm like, bro, I'm not doing that. He's like, we can get way more high and make a whole lot more money. I'm like, okay, I'm in. So we try Coke. Oh, my gosh, so dumb. I snort this first line of Coke. It hits me so hard, and I am like, this is the greatest thing ever for like 40 minutes. And then boom, it's gone. Like, oh, geez, I need more. And so I snort more. That night, I told my, my friend, my, my best friend at the time, I said, bro, if I don't stay away from this, it's going to ruin my life. I could already feel I was addicted to it. I could already feel I wanted it that bad. I said, if I don't get away from this, it's going to ruin my life. So a week goes by, and we just haven't slept don't eat food anymore. (laughs) We're just full on snorting Coke all day. So this goes on for a while. I eventually figure out how to to do drugs and sleep a little bit and all that. And then one day our guy that sells us Coke 
shows up and goes, we don't have any Coke. We got crystal meth. I'm like, no, I don't want to do this. And my friend goes, Seth, we could get more high and make way more money. I'm like, all right, let's do it. So I snort crystal meth, and that was the dumbest thing I ever did. I, t- I got myself off crystal meth because I hated it so bad. But two weeks go by, haven't slept, haven't eaten. Uh, it was just ruining my life real fast. Then my friend, another friend, shows up and goes, we start eating acid. Then he shows up and goes, we have, we got ecstasy pills from Amsterdam. I'm like, bro, I heard that eats holes in your brain. He's like, yeah, but it's really good. I'm like, all right, let me try it. So I snort a half a pill of ecstasy, and then I eat the other half. And within about 30 minutes, I'm going, I, will, I never want to do coke again. I never want to do meth again. I never want to smoke weed again. This is all I want to do. I just want to eat ecstasy every day. And so that's what I did. I mean, I started mixing it with acid and mushrooms and everything, you name it. And pretty soon, my life is obviously a mess. I'm like, wow, I was trying to get rid of some pain, and I just created a whole bunch more. This is not good. And I am full-on addicted to all these drugs. I didn't even know. Like, with ecstasy, there's something called, like, Black Monday or something. It's where you come down, and then because you've released so much serotonin in your brain, you've been so happy and so joyful for, like, a while, all of a sudden you go into a depression. I didn't even know what that was because I just kept snorting and eating ecstasy. I was snorting five pills of ecstasy a day. Sometimes we were snorting $300 of Coke every single day. We were mixing everything. It was ridiculous. It was so dumb. I hated it so much, and I loved it so much. And then I started having these experiences where I would look in the mirror. And I like look at myself in the mirror. I'd been high all the day before. I'm looking in the mirror in my bathroom, and I would start having these thoughts come into my head. Like, Seth, you're better than this. Seth, you have a good mind. What are you doing to it? Seth, look at yourself. This is not you. You're better than this. And I started to, like, change what I thought about myself a little bit. You know that story in the Bible of the prodigal son where he takes his dad's inheritance and he runs off and he blows it all and he finds himself in the pig pen and he's trying to, he wants to eat the food from the pigs. It's Luke chapter 15. And I had it in my verses, but we don't even have to do that. I'll just keep going. But in Luke chapter 15, he finds himself in the pig pen and he wants to eat their food. He's just totally broke. Everything's... He's ruined his whole life. And the Bible says he, he started to come to himself. He came to himself. You know what that means? He remembered who he was. He started to remember, wait a second, I have a dad with a big house with servants. And he starts getting all these ideas of how he's going to go back. You know the whole story, right? You know, but, but what's interesting to me is the Bible says he came to himself. And I feel like that's what was happening to me when I would look in the mirror. I started coming to myself. I started remembering, wait a second, this is not who I am. The Holy Spirit was convicting me, going, your behavior is not you. Your addiction is not you. Your fear is not you. Your lust is not you. Your anger is not you. Your hatred is not you. I just started realizing like, what the life I'm living is not me. And it started moving me 
towards, like I would remember sitting there, we were smoking a joint at work on break and I'm talking to a gay guy who was my friend and I'm like, bro, I think I'm gonna become a Christian again. This is like weeks before it happened. And I'm like, we're smoking a joint, passing it. And it, I think he liked me because he was gay. And we were like, we would always hang out on break. And he's like, I, I said, bro, I think I'm going to be a Christian again. He says, well, then you're not going to be my friend. I'm like, yes, I will. Yes, I will. But he was so afraid I wasn't going to be his friend. But something inside me was going, was calling out. Something inside me was like, this is not who you are. And I end up getting fired from that job. It was horrible because that was the only thing keeping me sort of normal was I'd go to this job as a, I was learning to be a chef and I'd cook all this food and I, you know, I liked it. So it was keeping me normal. Well, I get fired from my job. I go to my friend's house. We smoke a joint. We're talking. And then I go home and, and just suicide shows up in my room. Fear. All of it comes. It was like blackness came into my room. And I'm sitting on my bed, and I, I just go in my closet, and I get a gun. I, got, I had a Glock 45, and I put the bullets in, and I have the gun in my mouth. And before I pulled the trigger, I said, I just started talking to myself. I'd never really done this, but I'm just talking to myself, and I started saying, I wish I would have listened to my pastors. I wish I would have listened to my parents. I wish I would have listened to my teachers. I wish I would have just listened and then I said, I wish I could start my life over. I wish I could just be born again. And I had no idea what I was saying until the words came out of my mouth. And as soon as the words came out of my mouth, I wish I could just be born again. I felt somebody walk in the, in the building, in the, through the wall. I felt someone walk in and I hear, basically as clear as out loud, I hear, you must be born again. And because I was a little kid at the Christian school, I knew who was talking to me. I knew exactly who it was. I forgot that I had experienced him when I was a little child. I forgot all about that. But now I knew who was there. And I said, Jesus, if you're real, you got to make me born again or I'm going to pull this trigger. And I just started crying. I was crying so hard. And it was like, like all the sin inside me started forcing it. It was like I was projectile vomiting sin out of my insides like sins were forcing their way out of my mouth and I was just like here's what I've done here's what I've done here's what I did here's what I thought here's what I said here's this and it was just coming out I couldn't control it I couldn't stop it I couldn't guide it it was just coming out of my mouth and I'm just weeping crying and somewhere in there I I fall asleep and I don't know how long it took maybe an hour I wake up the next morning and I go outside and I'm like, wow, whoa, the trees are really green. The sky is so blue. I'm like looking around like I'd never seen it before. It was like, I had never seen, because you know, when you're on drugs, you think everyone's on drugs and you just live in this world that's this big and you don't really look outside. And when you do, it's only because you're paranoid. So you see everything through a lens of paranoia and fear. Like, the thing was gone. The paranoia was gone. The fear was gone. The anxiety was gone. All the stuff that was, that was guiding my life that I had no idea was guiding my life, all of a sudden it was gone. I like to call it the one-step program. Jesus stepped into my body and all the stuff stepped out. 
I guess it would be two steps. And I was like, whoa. So I went to my mom's house and I got a Bible and I would just read my Bible all day because I had no job. So I just read my Bible all day long, pray. I made a list of my friends. I just made a list of people and I would just sit in my house and pray for them for like eight hours. And then I, I, it's a long story, but this is 2001. So we're going on 22 years that this happened. Long story short, I end up meeting a friend who's now a youth pastor. He had me share my testimony. He baptized me. And then I got a job in New York City working with kids there. And then I moved to Northern California. So I've been in children's ministry and family ministry for 20, 21 years now at this point. But this is where it all started. This is the one story that, that, that it all started for me. And so I've, ever since then, I've lived with this conviction in my heart no matter how bad it looks, no matter how hard it is, no matter how scary it is, no matter what's going wrong, Easter's available. Resurrection's available. Death can turn into life. I had my own personal Easter and I didn't have to pull the trigger for it. I was about to until he came and got me. Somebody asked me the other day, it's fun, I get to talk to a lot of people now. Someone asked me, they're like, when did you choose Jesus? Like, I don't know if I did. In John 15, 16, he says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. My name, Seth, means appointed by God. I'm like, this is my verse. This is my verse. That's what my name means. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear much fruit and your fruit should remain. That whatever you ask in my name, I will give you. I'm like, wow, that's a strong verse. That's what I feel like for me. He chose me. That's what I feel like some of us need to hear. He chose us. He chose you. Whatever you're going through, whatever's happening, whatever you're, you're dealing with right now, he chose you. And he wants to get you out. It's a specialty. He specializes in hurting, broken, afraid, shattered, disconnected, dead, he, he specializes in bringing that stuff back to life. Yeah. But sometimes we're so, we've built so much thinking around what hasn't happened. We build so much thinking around what God has not done and around the pain that has happened and around the specific situation we're in, we built so much thinking that way that we go, I know he rose from the dead, but I can't believe that 
for me. The problem isn't that he can't do something. The problem is we don't believe it. Because we get so built, we build so much around either what he hasn't done or the bad stuff that's happened. And the shift is to go, wait a second, I believe that. I believe a dead man came back to life and is still alive 2,000 years later. And I want that to become reality for me. Whether I fall off my bike or I'm addicted to drugs or I'm in the middle of a relational conflict or my money's all screwed up, whatever it is, I want that story to become reality for me. My son, one of my kids this morning said, was Jesus the only one that ever raised from the dead? I'm like, oh no, there's thousands of people that are raised from the dead. And then we sang the song about Lazarus, who's one of the other people that rose from the dead. I want to read you quickly the difference between how Jesus raised from the dead and how Lazarus raised from the dead. See if you can point it out. See if you can see what happened. So this is John 20. We're at a minute 30. I'm going to try not to go too far over, but I'm wrapping up, I promise. So this is John and Peter running to the grave because Mary's like, they took him. He's gone. Here's what it says in verse 6. Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also, and he saw and believed. You know, you, you always want, when you read the Bible, you always want to pay attention to details because the Holy Spirit puts details in on purpose. Listen to this. He saw the linen cloths lying there. He saw the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in its place, in a place by itself. See if you can tell the difference. That's Jesus raising from the dead. That's when they discovered he was alive. This is when Lazarus came back to life. So Jesus is talking, and he says, it says, when, this is uh, John 11, starting in verse 43. When Jesus had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out, bound hand and foot with grave clothes. And his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. Did you catch the difference? Jesus raises from the dead, unwraps his head, sets it down. Unwraps, or maybe the angels did. I don't know, there was two angels. Unwraps his, all the grave clothes. Remember back then they kind of mummified people? Like so they'd wrap them up in grave clothes. Now we just inject them with embalming fluid or whatever it is we do. So, so Jesus takes off the grave clothes. Why? Because he's not dead. Like, I don't need these anymore. I don't need these. I don't want these. And he takes them off and he lays them there. He folds them all up and lays them there. Like, Jesus is organized. He gets it all organized. And John and Peter are like, whoa, the stuff he was wrapped in is gone. And then Lazarus comes out and it says he was bound hand and foot. I don't know. Maybe he was like this. Maybe he was like this. I don't know. But Lazarus is like, He's wrapped up, and his face is wrapped. His head is wrapped. 
Here's what that means. When Jesus raised from the dead, he, he's like totally free. Can see perfectly clear, hear perfectly clear. Lazarus comes out and he can barely shuffle. He's fully alive, back from the dead, snapped out of the grave into life again. Whoa, man, you are born again. You are resurrected. You are brand new. Wow. And then he comes out. Like, oh, you can't, you can't fully step into what God has for you. You're alive. You're just not able to step into what God ha- this new life that Jesus just gave you. Or you can't touch the people you're supposed to touch because your hands are bound. You can't fully do the new life that he gave for, to you. And your head's wrapped, so you probably can't hear very clear. Everything's a little bit muffled. You probably can't see very clear because you're looking through linen. You probably can't speak very clear because your mouth's covered. And Jesus says, loose him and let him go. Here's the difference between Jesus and Lazarus. Here's the difference between Jesus and us. Jesus comes back to life and he, whatever, maybe it was the angels, maybe it was the Father, maybe it was the Holy Spirit, maybe it was Jesus himself. I have no idea. But somehow his grave clothes got off of him and were folded up nice and neat, ready. And they came in and they go, whoa. And Lazarus comes out and Jesus says, go get those off of him. He doesn't need them anymore. He doesn't need to keep living as if he's dead in a grave because he's not. But he needs someone to go take the stuff off. He needs someone to go unwrap his head so he can see clearly, hear clearly, speak clearly. He needs someone to get his hands free so he can touch the people he's supposed to touch. He needs someone to take the grave clothes off his feet so he can walk into this new life. And I don't know where you're at, but I have a feeling there's probably some of you who are like, all right, I've been born again, but I don't have a story like, like you. Or I'm, I'm born again, but I still feel and smell and look like I'm dead. Come on, Lazarus looked dead. He might be standing there. Dude looks dead. Smells dead. Till they got those clothes off him. Everything about him appeared like he didn't have a new life. Except the fact that he's standing there. And I have a feeling there's some of us are like, yeah, I got a new life. But I don't feel like I see clearly, hear clearly, speak clearly. I don't feel like I'm touching the people I'm supposed to touch. I feel confused. I feel I like I'm not walking into the things. Like, well, hey, maybe you've had your Easter and now you just need someone to take that stuff off. Or maybe you're like, I'm dead. I'm dead in my sin. Maybe you've never even met Jesus. Maybe you don't even know who I'm talking about. I mean, you probably know who I'm talking about because we've talked about him a lot. Maybe you've never met him. Maybe you're like, dude, I feel like my life is dead. I need to be resurrected. Or maybe you're like, I'm alive again. I'm born again. But my circumstances are not good. 
There is no resurrection life in my circumstances, and I built my beliefs and my thinking around something other than this. And I'm so discouraged, and I'm so hopeless, and I'm so defeated. Then we're going to pray for you, all of you. Can we do something real fast? We have a ministry team ready. Look at that. Worship's ready. That was perfect timing. Whatever we do, can you just throw that one line in there? Can you throw that one line in again? I don't know. That's that line. The enemy thought he had me. Jesus. Wasn't it Jesus said something different? He said, you're mine. Man, that's so powerful. Let me do, just do this real fast. If you don't know Jesus, just so you know, like, I'm not trying to hide or pretend anything. Easter and Christmas are the two times where people who don't really follow the Lord come to church. So there very well may be a few of you in here that are like, I've never met Jesus. I actually have never met him. I don't know him. I come to church to do my religious duty, and now you told me that this is supposed to end religion, and I came here to do religion, my duty for the year, and I don't, but I don't actually know Jesus. And the stuff you're talking about, people getting healed, getting delivered from drugs, getting set free, like, I don't know that. If there's anyone in here and you're like, I, I would like to actually meet Jesus. I've only known religion. That's why I don't come to church, except on Easter. Because I only know religion. But I want to know Jesus. Would you just raise your hand quick? I just want to, we're going to pray for you. If there's anybody here that's never met Jesus and you would like to. You're like, I feel like I need to be born again. I need a brand new life. And if not, that's cool. Oh, we got a few right here. Come on. Now I want to pray specifically for people who are like, I feel like I'm wearing my grave clothes, but I have a new life. And I want to just walk into my new life. I want the grave clothes off. If that's you, whatever it is, you know what I'm talking about. If you, you know if it's you. Would you just quickly stand up if that's you? You're like, I'm born again, of course. I know God, but I got stuff going on. If, you're, if you've built your life on circumstances and situations, if you've built your thinking around your pain and not around his power, not around his resurrection, then I want you to stand up too. We're going to pray quickly over you. depression's got your head wrapped, you need to stand up. If fear's got you, got your hands tied so you can't reach and touch the people you're, you know you're called to touch, then you need to stand up. If you feel like you're just shuffling when you could be running, you're like, I should be running. I should be running right now, and I'm not running. I'm shuffling. My legs are bound, then you need to stand up. If you're not moving at the speed that you know Jesus has for you, you need to stand up. If you feel like you can't hear God clearly, you can't hear people clearly, if you feel like there's confusion, even in relationships when people are trying to talk to you and you hear something different than what they said and they heard something different than what you said, if you feel like there's something interpreting what you say and twisting it in between you and your relationships, you have to stand up right now. If you feel like there's something between you and the people closest to you, and when you talk, it gets turned and told something, they hear something else. 
and it's causing friction in your relationship. It's causing friction in, your, in the people that you're closest with. If that's you, you got to stand up. If you feel like when you talk, it's not coming out clear. If you feel like your vision is, is blurry, like I feel like I'm looking through something and it's not super clear, then you got to stand up. You're a Lazarus. We're going to take the grave clothes off. Maybe this is different, but here's what I'd like you to do. If you have somebody that's standing up right next to you, would you just put a hand on them? I just want to make sure everybody gets a hand on them. If, if you're standing up and you don't have somebody with you to pray over you, I'd like you to raise your hand until someone comes. If you're standing up for prayer, I'd like you to raise your hand unless you have somebody with you. I just want to make sure everybody gets somebody with them. Hope that makes sense. Whoa. I also felt, I wrote this down quickly um, earlier. If you've had a head injury and you have like, re, like a residue of a past head injury, would you raise your hand real fast? There's somebody here that had a head injury, maybe a wreck or something, um, and, and it's like, I'm still not 100%. Is that you over here? Okay, we're going to, God's going to heal your head. Yeah. I also felt too like, um, I felt like the Lord said, there's people who've been trying to manage anger, and I don't want them to manage the anger anymore. I want to heal the pain that caused the anger, and I want to empower the powerlessness that causes the anger. So if, if that's you, we're, we're already praying for you, but we're, I just want to declare that over you, that anger anger's not going to need the management that it used to need because, because there's healing coming to the pain that caused the anger, and there's power coming to the powerlessness that caused the anger. The things that caused the anger are going to be touched by God today, so you don't need to manage the anger anymore because it won't be there the same way it used to be. You'd only have righteous anger from now on. All right, let's just pray a simple prayer. Let's just say, Jesus, we obey you. And for these people that we're with, we take the grave clothes off right now. We remove the grave clothes from their life. Lord, let them walk into what you have for them. Lord, let them run and jump into what you have for them. Lord, we loose their hands so they can touch the people they're supposed to touch. And we take the grave clothes off their heads so they can see clear, hear clear, speak clear. That when they talk, what they said actually gets heard. We release them from confusion We pray freedom to walk into your new life, to run into your new life, to leap and jump into your new life, to not just be born again, but to be living in the life that God has for you. That's our prayer over you right now. And Jesus, 
We thank you that you, that death can't hold you. Even death itself, even grave, the grave itself cannot hold you. That you're unholdable from death and the grave. And we just release over every person here. We release life, just like our friend painted over, painted life over death and painted joy over sadness and all of that. Just like she painted over all of it, God, that we release life and joy and peace over every one of us. We release Easter, God, that we would be like people that realize again, oh yeah, you're alive forever. Nothing can stop you. Jesus, that's our prayer over every single person that they would build their thinking from this point on, on Easter, that all of their thoughts would be lined up with, you raise dead things back to life. No situation is hopeless. God, we release hope over hopelessness. We release peace over depression. We release life over death. Swallow it all up in our lives, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we have the ministry team come to the front?